Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. You're really there to kind of take people to the underworld. That's what you do. And everybody has to be given the liberty to bring whoever they want to bring. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Purple People, Christmas in Space, a B-side from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. David. Oh, hi, Eve. Merry Christmas? Question mark. In space? In spacha? In space? Welcome back to the Kaforstendam. Mm. We're not at the last stop yet. I'm McThirsty for it. I think that it's pronounced Mac Thirsty's Lounge, like Mac Aladdin. Like Mac Aladdin? Oh. Yeah, and this is the beginning of the legend that is Mac Aladdin, or the myth of Mac Aladdin. Mm. This is where it's born, right? Because the last thing we have is the raspberry swirl, the mix, right? I believe that's Mark, but that's not, he's not listed as Mac Aladdin. You mean Shady Feline? Yeah, Shady Feline, that one. He's the Shady Feline. That's Mm. what I think. Yeah, I think so too. And here we've got Mac Thirsty's Lounge. Do you think Mark is both a shady feline and a black lab? Oh, I can't wait to get to that song. Me either. <laughs> you can bring your dog. We got three. Turns out she's talking to herself and all of the dogs are Mark. Probably. <laughs> but that's what I think. I think Mac Thirsty's Lounge is the beginning of the myth of Mac Aladdin. And so that's why we've chosen on today's episode to really go into the myth of purple people. We're going to explore a lot of myths today. And I hope everybody out there is ready for it. Mm-hmm. Let's not make any mistakes. You know, there are some whose give twists itself to take and they mistake. Mm. How have you been, David? I've been pretty well. How about you? I've been pretty good. Just debunking myths left and right in my own personal life. Oh, yeah? How's that going? I found out that there's like a whole school of thought that the apple, I guess, in the Bible, fruit was a reference to like a penis, like a a man's penis. Not everything is a penis. Just kidding. It is. Yes, it is. Don't ever say that again. (laughs) Not on this Um, show. That there is a school of thought that Eve slept with the devil, and that's like the origin of sin. And that just like opened up this world of Tori Amos music to me. You didn't know that Tori was working out equating sex with sin this whole time? <laughs> no, I knew that. But I didn't know that there's Bible scholars who believe that Eve slept with the devil. And that Cain and Abel, that apparently they believe that one of them was Adam's son and one of them was the devil's son. And that's why one was so hated. And like, is this like, just say it. It's a Bible. Like, just say it in the Bible. Don't make me like guess. Don't make me like read between the lines. This sounds like Bible fanfic, which is okay. Right. But 
<laughs> oh my God, that's kind of hot. What scholars are you referring to specifically? Because I don't think most scholars, if we're going to use that word, sort of look at the Bible as historically accurate, meaning that these people actually existed. Well, that's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the drawing board. But that makes me want to write some Esau fanfic. Yeah. Or some Noah's Ark fanfic. Like, who would you be on the Ark with? Oh my oh, God, so some Esau fanfic. <laughs> you love Esau. Esau loved a stew. You love a stew. <laughs> No, I want that Noah's Ark fanfic. Like, who are you on the Ark with? Like, what happens when you get there? You're trapped in the Ark for, like, what is it, 40 years? Like, okay, shit goes down. Yeah, for sure. When you're all in captivity together, stuff gets crazy. That's how I got flowers in my attic. <laughs> what two drag queens would you pick to be on the Ark? Um, I don't know. Sharon Needles and Katya. Ooh, good choices. How about you? I'm choosing Mad Hatter and fuck yeah space babe because they came to our digital ghost event. they sure did they were wonderful i really love them yeah i figure like being on the arc with them would be real fun they would like work up some tory performances yeah so. and i didn't pick them because i knew you would so i wouldn't have to they, yeah that's exactly why <laughs> i'm hoarding queens i'm a queen hoarder you're such a queen hoarder i've always said that about you i know everybody knows it mostly behind your back mostly behind your back i admit but now i'm saying it to your face <laughs> turn around bright as i'm talking about you <laughs> i would like to take this opportunity since we're debunking myths i want to dispel some myths about ephraim how about that oh lord i was right. listening to a podcast recently and they do a segment where they ask the guests five questions and one of the questions is tell us something that other people think is true about you that actually isn't Okay. Is that, are you asking me? Yeah. This was not in the notes document, David. I didn't have time to prepare. <laughs> you got a vamp. Not everything can be scripted the way you try to control every aspect of your life. Just kidding. <laughs> I do. I'm a Virgo. What was the question? Tell us something that most people think is true about you that actually isn't. I think a lot of people think about me that I am an extrovert when in reality I believe myself to be an introvert. I know that I can put on like that social outward face, but I'm actually kind of shy and like nervous around mm -hmm. talking to people, especially men. Oh my God. You know what's funny? What? That show that I referred to where they asked that question, that is the most uh -huh. common answer. Really? Pretty much everyone says that. Wow. Myth verified. What's the greatest myth that people believe about you to be true, but is not true? I want to steal that answer, but that's not fair because, well, you already said it, and I don't know whether or not most people would think of me as an extrovert. <laughs> Probably not. But <laughs> So this is not really answering the question, but I am also pretty shy. It's gotten better, yeah. but a lot of times, and this is true of a lot of shy people, it reads as standoffish and kind of cold, and that's not at all who I am. It's just about you know, being shy and needing a chance to warm up to people. So that doesn't answer your question at all. <laughs> no, but I get that. And I feel like I sometimes come off as cold too. I don't like to make small talk with people I don't know. And it's not all because I'm an asshole. Some of it is, but part of it is because I'm shy. I'm shy. I have never experienced you that way, personally. See, that's a myth. I know. This face, this outward face is a myth. It's I know. all a myth. The mirror has two faces. Although maybe I'm not shy. Maybe I am an extrovert. Maybe that's what I'm learning. I think that's the myth. That's the myth that you have about yourself. You believe yourself to be shy. shy, but you're really not. Well, then why can't I talk to men? Well, that's a different kind of insecurity <laughs> and maybe an, an issue of worthiness. You're not shy, oh, necessarily. I'm just unworthy. Just Thanks, unworthy. David. <laughs> I didn't say I think that. Oh, you're saying I think that? I get it. Okay. Well, I like this idea of exploring myths. What myths have you debunked this week besides that one? Um, That food and love are different. Myth debunked. <laughs> when was the first time you heard purple people? You know what? What? I'm going to tell you. 
<laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I went with a couple friends to buy the UK Spark singles. And it was the type of thing where we were like calling the record store to find out who had them on release day or maybe even a couple days ahead of time. So we found a place that had them in stock, but they only had one of each, meaning the regular edition and limited edition. Oh, so, God. What assholes. I know. So we had to decide between us who was going to get which one, of course, based on the B-sides. Tell me who you were with, and I'll tell you who got which. Okay, I was with Aaron Russell. Just the two of you? And I feel like maybe... Door was there or Door was there, but she was fine not having a physical. I don't remember, but it was definitely Aaron oh. for sure. So it was between the two of us. Well, Aaron got the limited and you got the regular. Nope. Really? Yeah. You fought for that limited? No, the opposite. I was... She fought for the regular? Yeah. So there was really no fight. We were just like, cool, cool. All right. <laughs> go to your separate corners. Oh, that's so sweet. That Those are true Tory friends. Yeah. And I think it was no because, you know, most people, including me, were very excited about cooling because mm. we knew that it existed and there was that one performance in Miami from the tour before so we were very curious what the final version was going to sound like cooling myth debunked yes <laughs> <laughs> Was this during the time that you worked at Tower Records? And if so, why didn't you order them from where you worked? I don't, I worked there a couple times when I was in college and I don't remember the timeline, but I don't think I was working there at this point. I don't think I was working there when Choir Girl came out. Soon after, yeah, because I was finishing my semester of college. So I started that summer, I think, but the album was already out. Okay, that makes sense. Myth verified. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the first time you heard it? In Albuquerque, New Mexico, I remember having multiple copies of the Limited. So it wasn't like I was scared to not get it. But I got it, of course, on the day that it came out. I got them both. I didn't have to fight with anyone. So you got the U.S. single and the U.K. Limited? I did. Okay, but and not... And then the U.K. regular, too. All three, you're right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I got them all. In fact, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't get the U.S. until later. I got the part one and part two of U.K. That's what I'm talking about. Part one and part two of U.K. Yes, with Do It Again. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. It's all coming back to me. I'm my 98 self. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to launch into Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me. And when I hear Spock like this, <laughs> and when she mermans like that. It was an amazing time, wasn't it? It was. It still is. What were your initial impressions of La Gente Morado? Ooh. First, I was like, don't start with me. I am not your senorita. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like it? No, of course I did. Oh, okay. When Tori talks about Agent Orange, you know, she says it's that 1 a.m. cabaret moment. To me, this is that 1 a.m. cabaret moment. Not that we can't have more than one 1 a.m. cabaret moment, but yeah, there's something very kind of melancholy, soothing about it, as there is with a lot of Tori's music. It's jazzy in that choir girl kind of way. It really sets a mood, sets a scene. There's a lot of atmosphere to it. It's smoky. It's loose. What do you think? What did you think? All of those things as well. And also there was, this was the time where she could do no wrong, where like anything she put out, it was like just guaranteed that I would love it. Yes. You know, there was this like really wild string of releases, starting with Siren, going into the actual Choir Girl CD, plus all the singles with the Raspberry Swirl single, like every single there was just, she just could do no wrong. I agree. And I would Living argue for everything. I would argue that it started with Little Earthquakes. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, of course that, <laughs> but like, that's not, I wasn't buying CDs in 92 in the way that I was buying them in 98. So yeah, it was just 
just like everything. I was like soaking it up. I need it. I need it. I'm going there on the first day that it's released. I need it. And yeah, then like but living for it. Let's talk about that for a second. Like obviously we're a little biased when it comes to Tori because she's our favorite artist, right? <laughs> she's my um, favorite artist. <laughs> but I wouldn't call her my favorite. Are you no, serious? <laughs> When you think about it, and let's think about it for a second, just for once, let's stop and think about it. It's wild that she had such a string of, let's say, perfection, as far as I'm concerned. I would argue that Little Earthquakes through to Venus and back are flawless, and that includes all the B-sides. And there was never really a moment where at that point where I heard a Tory song and was like, eh, it's okay, or I don't yeah. like it. Every song was yeah. like a mini masterpiece or a maxi masterpiece, yes. if you're Yes Anastasia, I guess. But it's like, how is yes. this possible that every single song is incredible. Mm -hmm. I would agree. There was no doing any wrong for her. Yeah, and I think that's a good choice. She's like, I thought about doing something crappy and was like, nah. I just, I'm just, I'm just gonna be good. I'm just gonna be great. I'm just gonna be amazing. Whatever. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Um, should we talk about this episode? We have a guest on this episode. Yeah. Who is this purple person? His name is Shane Bettenhausen. He's a friend and a video game developer, and he is here to talk about his signature song, Purple People. Shh, 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 Shane. I couldn't think of a better episode to put him on. If his signature song is Purple People, I thought let's put him in the Purple People episode. Good thinking. Groundbreaking. You know, thank you. I. That's how my mind works. That's just how my mind works. Uh-huh. Can we also say hello to our Patreon supporters, David, please? The three Ps, the purple people Patreons. No other Patreon supporters can call themselves the three Ps. Consider yourselves lucky, question mark. Exclamation point, please. Okay. You know I'm not good at punctuation. First, we'd like to say hello to Christina Romero. Christina's in space. Have yourself a merry little Christina. Grandma. Hello to new Patreon supporter, J.M. Solomon. Song of Solomon. Take me with you. Take me with you. That's an obscure joke. I mm -hmm. hope people get it. We haven't gotten there yet. We specialize in that. Hello to new patron, Rami Turk. His donation came in as a euro, so you know he's European. Mmm, international. I turked myself today to see if I could feel. You turked yourself? I said I turked myself, sweet boy. To find a Rami bean. Yeah, perfect. Hello to brand new patron Julia Donaldson, who instantly came in, pledged to our Patreon, and then jumped up to a higher level. She's all in. Julia Donaldson. Julia Donaldson. Thank you, Julia. Welcome back to Andre Aspere. Good to see you, as always. Mm. He also came in as a Euro. We Aspere for Andre's strength. <laughs> or Aspere, Aspere. And if I lose my Andre Jacks at the Tato wave. Aspere, Aspere. I love it. <laughs> Hello to new patron Ashley Hamilton, who also jumped in and then said, you know what? It's just not enough. And jumped in more. Jumped instantly up to a higher level. Ashley, thank you. Said you had. Said you had a... Double Hamilton. I love it. And of course, as always, we'd like to thank our wonderful historian, archivist, and librarian, Shay Stymack, who always works so tirelessly mm -hmm. to get us these notes. She actually texted me this morning. I feel like there's not enough notes in Purple People. If she ever feels that way in the future, just start making stuff up. Start some new myths. <laughs> just fabricate some quotes. Tori said Purple People is actually about Grimace, the well-loved character <laughs> from McDonald's. Okay. Shay, you're wonderful as always. Thank you for everything that you do. There are just some songs that don't have that many quotes. And this, and this is, is one, one of them. them David. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. An angel's face is tricky to wear con shaley. Mm-hmm. Thunder wishes it could be the Shano. Shano? Well, hey, do you do judo when they shay round you? Shay round you. I love that one. Um, <laughs> wishes it could be as loved as Shay can be. Shay can be. <laughs> These quotes are here for you, for, for me. me. And for our audience. Thanks, Shay. Thanks, Shay. Should we get this party started, David? I got my purple people party hat. Perfect. What color is it? Purple. Perfect people. The color of royalty. All right. We're going to throw it to a cover of purple people. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Cover it. I want to really pull people's heartstrings right at the beginning. So here's the PS22 Choir's cover of purple people. People appears on the Spark UK CD single released April 20th, 1998, listed as Purple People Christmas in Space. It appears on the US CD single, the US Maxi single, and the US cassette single, all released on June 9th, 1998, listed as Purple People. Should we just talk about that here? Sure. Let's do it. Let's debunk our first myth of the day, yes? Mm. I want to take you to an article that I found, a blog post on stevehoffman.tv, November 30th, 2015, because it says it succinctly, not because it gave me any new information. Yeah, calm down, Steve. I know. Calm down, Steve. We know. (laughs) He says, a typo that still causes confusion among Toriumus fans occurred on one of the British CD singles for Spark from 1998. Tori herself has confirmed that the printer messed it up, and because there was only one printing of the CD single and it wasn't released anywhere else, the mistake lives on. On this CD single, track two is listed as Purple People. Christmas in Space, and track three is listed as Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Anyone who has ever heard the former track realizes that it has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas, or space for that matter. I don't know about that. The way it was supposed to be listed was Purple People with no subtitle as track two, and Christmas in Space, parentheses, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas as track three, which makes sense as the actual Christmas song starts and ends with spacey sound effects. And I want to even go further on this. The former listing with no subtitle can be found on the B 
side of the American Spark 45, which has purple people on it. It just says purple people. And Christmas in Space, this is where it seals the deal for me. Christmas in Space can be found on what I think is the only legitimate U.S. release, which is Kevin and Bean's Last Christmas, released in 1999. It lists Christmas in Space by Tori Amos, and it's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. So it's missing the parentheses. That's why I believe it is Christmas in Space, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, not Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, Christmas in Space. This is actually the first time I've heard that piece of the puzzle. Really? Oh, myth verified. Because I definitely would have thought, given the error on the single printing, that it was supposed to be, have yourself a Merry Little Christmas, parentheses, Christmas Christmas, in space. Not the opposite. And I'm still not sure we can know that 100%. I think that we can, because if you look at the track listing for Kevin and Beans, it just says Christmas in space. Maybe there just wasn't room. Well, there's never any room, David, for false information. (laughs) But this probably is the greatest mistake in all of Tori Amos print history. Yeah, I would agree with that. And what a long and storied history it is. And I think that we learned that because someone actually asked her, right, at a meet and greet. I don't know who asked her, but I feel like we know that person or have known that person because I've heard that story many times, Mm -hmm. which is that this person asked her and she explained that at a meet and greet. Or maybe someone just handed her to get it signed the first time and she was like, what? What the hell is this? This is the first time hearing of this. She threw it down on the ground. John, Mac, (laughs) somebody. (laughs) Joel, Steve, get me John and Mac. There's something wrong inside McThirsty's Lounge. Call East West. (laughs) Purple people is lost in space. Danger. Oh, yeah. It would be so annoying, I think, if it were my release. And if you look at the actual single, it's listed as Spark, Purple People, Christmas in Space, and then Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Mm-hmm. There is no room to put Christmas in Space, parentheses, Have Yourself a, a Merry Little Christmas. It would I go told off you. the edge. It would have needed a whole redesign. So someone really screwed up. Well, yeah, I think that also played the Kevin and Bean compilation. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think she would just sort of haphazardly rename a classic song with her own title. It is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. There's no question about that. I know, but let's think about where she was at that Christmas. This is Christmas in space. I don't know. I agree with you. It is an old Judy Garland classic, which we can really fight about it in the next episode. I don't want to fight. It's Christmas. Let's not fight. Inspired by this blog post on stevehoffman.tv, I took the liberty, David, of compiling a list of the 10 greatest mistakes in human history. In human history. In human history. Okay. Okay. Let me get a drum roll, Oliver. Number 10, the BP oil spill. Number 9, the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Oil spill. (laughs) Exactly. Number 8, the Chernobyl disaster. Number seven, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Did you know that it was made on soft soil and that's why it leans? I didn't. Number six, Russia accidentally selling Alaska to the United States. Whoopsie. Number five, the sinking of the Titanic. Number four, Decca Records rejected the Beatles. Did you know that? I'm sorry, the Beatles are ranked above oil spills and Chernobyl? I'm sorry, I don't know about that. Decca Records rejecting the Beatles, that is. Hmm. Decca Records could be a billion dollar industry. I don't know, I support Decca. I find the Beatles distasteful. Number three, the Dutch discovered Australia, but they ignored it. (laughs) They just tripped over it. What was that? And they did that thing where they looked back, like when you trip on a little crack on the ground, like, oh, eh, just keep walking. Number two, the Hindenburg disaster. That's pretty bad. Number one, the greatest mistake in human history is listing purple people as Christmas in space on the Spark Limited Edition CD single. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we can all agree on that. (laughs) Yes. But 
I don't know. I think it's kind of a happy accident. Why? Because I think it actually is appropriate and interesting to pair Christmas in Space with Purple People. And I will always think of this song as Purple People Christmas in Space, even though I know it's a mistake. Really? Yeah. Well, I think that when we were young and we were purchasing these things, we found meaning in it. We had no reason to believe it wasn't supposed to be Purple People Christmas in Space. And so we developed meaning and found meaning in it. And, you know, I felt like that maybe personally that Purple People Christmas in Space was how she was feeling post-miscarriage. Yeah. Um, which happened around Christmas. So I developed a whole narrative around that or at least a, like a belief around that. Mm-hmm. So Me too. Yeah. Purple People continues to be released again throughout her career. It appears again in September 1999 on the Tavinas and Back double CD on the live section. And it's listed only as Purple People. I watch me be this other thing and You know what? The waitress is also just listed as waitress. Uh, She's really messing with her own timeline here. She is. It appears again in September 2006 on a piano, again only listed as Purple People. And the last time we hear from Purple People is in 2007. It's released on two separate legs and boots, October 15th in Philadelphia and October 11th in Phoenix. Can we point out that the version included on a piano is the live version from To Venus and Back, not the studio version from the Spark single? Interesting, huh? Why is that? I don't know. Why does she make the decisions that she makes? Another annoying thing about the Purple People To Venus and Back situation is that that's not even live. It's a soundcheck version. Right. That's true. And it's like that one in Sugar, like really messed with the flow. Yeah, and there's no crowd noise. And I wouldn't have a problem with that. Purple People on Tavina's and Bad kind of feels like an epilogue, so I'm fine with that, but it's really strange to have coming out of the solo songs a soundcheck version of Sugar. Yeah, at least, like, would you dub in some crowd noise over it? Of course I would. In charge? I think we should do that on this show. We need a laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, audience. Thank you out there. Let's also oh, what the crowd. Oh. What a, oh. Applause, applause, applause. Okay. What's your favorite version of Purple People? Studio. Of all the versions. Studio on the single? Studio on the Spark single, yeah. It just has that atmosphere that's not recaptured live. Mm. And it's become scarce because she did that thing where she put the live version on a piano. I feel like that studio yeah. version is lost. Like, is it streaming anywhere? Is the physical version and like a ripped MP3 so. the only way you can get it? I guess so, yeah. That's like putting the 1998 version of Upside Down Live on the remastered Under the Pink. These ch- Choices. I'm not sure putting the live version of Purple People on the piano was a mistake, though. It may have been. No, I it think that, that was a choice. me if she'd forgotten that she recorded it in the studio. I think that maybe, you know, we'll, we'll get into the history of the song a little bit here in a minute, but it was one of the earliest songs she recorded, and she loved it. And I think that there's some lyric changes, too, in the soundtrack version that I think maybe seal the deal for her as why that's, like, her preferred version. Mm-hmm. No matter. What it takes, she promises a show. One thing she always promised, promises a show. So I don't know. I may. I don't know. You never can tell why, but clearly you have to imagine that it's her preferred version if that's the version she wants to compile on her big box set that is shaped like a piano. I know. <laughs> Do you ever refer to purple people as pee-pee? 
No. You don't abbreviate it that way? No, I do not. Should we start? No, because if I ever have to find it in my phone and I just search pee-pee, many other things will come up. <laughs> Ooh, let's talk about that. <laughs> to verify what you said earlier, I just checked. There are no other versions streaming on Spotify. Oh, or, my God. Lost to time. Cleave. Yeah. Cleave yeah. to those precious Spark Singles children. And what's interesting, too, is that on iTunes, it says Purple People B-side version from A Piano the Collection. B-side version, but it is the soundcheck version. Oh, my God. What a tangled web we weave. You're going to have a hard time convincing me it's not a memory issue. Like, (laughs) I think maybe she thought that was the B-side version. Meaning an issue with Tori's memory. Yeah. Maybe she just got confused. Maybe she doesn't. And maybe she found it in the vault. And because it was a soundcheck version and there's no crowd noise, she's like, this is it, right? Yeah. And then she's like, God, we were so good right from the beginning. Oh, my God. We really just vibed together. Like old pros. Anyway, should we get into the history? Historize me. I found this quote from Really Deep Thoughts, the archive, and it's actually a a post made by Kizzy Parks uh, on August 18th, 1998. And she says, I was wondering um, if anyone knew why there is purple people and purple people Christmas in space. Also, I was wondering if purple people Christmas in space is on a CD or bootleg anywhere. Thanks very much, Kizzy. And no one ever responded to her because you know what? I have to assume no one knew either. Like why? What's the difference? What's happening? And that was as early as August, 1998. That was the first evidence I could find of someone, anyone somewhere being confused by this. And no one ever responded to so her. So did Kizzy think that these were different songs? Maybe she did because, you know, if you're just looking at the catalog releases and you see Purple People and then Purple People Christmas in Space, you've got to naturally wonder, like, what's the difference, right? And if you only have heard one. It's true. It could have been the equivalent of, like, the voodoo rookery ending or something. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. Like a remix, some weird thing. But here, Kizzy, your email sent on August 18th, 1998 is finally being answered today, recorded on March 7th. 2021. We're here to answer you, Kizzy. Oh my gosh, she held it for a long time. Someone send this to Kizzy. <laughs> Do you think Kizzy's a Tory fan anymore? Yeah. I mean, once a Tory fan, always a Tory fan in some regard, I think. She's still out there orbiting around. Yeah. There's actually a quote from Seattle and Sessions in 1998 about the inspiration for this song, or at least a partial inspiration for the song. So it, let's just play it. It's Tori herself. Roll it, Oliver. So I was, um, we were in Cornwall and we were hanging out, a bunch of us, and um, the great thing is we always had this saying that it's six o'clock in the world somewhere, and that means you can have a drink. You know, when you think it's too early to drink, and we don't drink that much. That depends on who we're comparing ourselves to. But we have a European, um, the way we look at things, it's not like, um, we never kind of go to work I can't play the piano if I'm doing anything because I can't find it, for one thing. And then once I'm um, sitting on the stool, I still can't find it. So there was a time, though, when uh, we would decide it was 6 o'clock and it was like 9.30 in the morning. And um, one time we were having this moment and my friend Tam was telling me a story about a girl named Betsy Brown who used to torture her and come up to her. (laughs) She does this thing. She She used to come up to me and go, Hi, I'm Betsy Brown. Do you do judo? I do judo. (laughs) And I went into the studio. And this kind of happened. Well, how do you do judo when they say... 
BB inspired PP. I think that you're onto something when you talked earlier about how it gives you that sort of late night cabaret. Because if they're working all through the night and it's the morning, like it's six o'clock somewhere, but it's actually 9 a.m., you know, they're tired, exhausted, and getting wasted. Mm-hmm. You're picking up on something, David. My radar is attuned. Thoughts on that quote from Tori? Well, that certainly leads me to believe that this song was written in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And that this really is kind of a jam, improvised song. Yeah. 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 It just kind of happened. And it's interesting that they were burning the candle at both ends from the start of these recording sessions. She doesn't say like, oh, this was towards the end when we were trying well, to get does... it or mastering the album. She says this is one of the first right. things we recorded and they were already staying up all night. Here on October 24th, 2001 in Cleveland, live on stage, she talks a little bit about how this was one of the first things that they did. So roll that, Oliver. So this is a little song that uh, was one of the first things we recorded for Choir Girl. I thought that, um, you know, she was going to start the whole album, of course, because I loved her. And sometimes she comes and visits. Well, he do you do you do It's always like a slumber party with Tori, probably. Yeah, I feel like maybe they were like so into each other right from the beginning. They just never wanted to sleep. They oh my to just God. Play. It's like that new relationship moment where you just want to like talk yeah. and cuddle and record yeah. cruel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> record purple people. Oh, I got this hot number. Let's mm. do this one. And mm. now this one. It's this little song. Yeah. <laughs> I feel her coming. It's either Bootsy Collins or Edith Bunker. Interesting that she thought purple people would open the album. She never thought that. Why are you disagreeing with her? She said it her damn self. That's just one of those things that she says when she feels bad about leaving one of her favorite songs off the album. And she's like, oh, it's going to be track one, obviously. I think there might have been, if she said it, I think there might have been a time where she believed it to be track one. If it's one of the first things they cut and she was really into it and it was really good and her and Maddie are really vibing in their new relationship. That's part of why I think maybe there's that whole intro with the sax synth or whatever that's supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know? This would be a great album closer, if anything. Yeah, it would be a better album closer, I agree, than opener. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you've got three songs in the can, you're like, that one's good. It could be a total album opener. Mm-hmm. So I believe her to be a truthful human being, unlike David. <laughs> I don't I think she's Corey. not truthful. I just think she's forgetful. Interesting. It's a lie okay. of omission. But it serves to note that for this song, we do not have any recording... There has never been any list of like players. So we assume it's Maddie on the drums. We assume it's Caton on guitar. And we assume it's Justin Meldel Johnson on bass or George Porter on bass. Well, let so me. A- we'll never know. Let me ask you why do you think it was at this point in time that the legend of Mac Aladdin was born? Could it be that Mac <gasps> was filling in on guitar in the studio? Oh. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I love that idea. I think that's an actual very valid point, David. Are you willing to put some money on it? No, I don't gamble. Well, what we do know about this track in the recording process is that it was mixed by Marcel von Limbeek and Mark Holly, assisted by Rob Van Tuen, and written by Tori, let me see. Oh, Tori Amos. Mm-hmm. I've heard of her. 
I found a little section on Top 5 Songs 365 blog. It's a blog, I think, written in German, but I was able to translate it. And it says the top five songs about purple. And they listed Tori Amos Purple People as the fourth most famous or popular or best song about purple. And they wrote, this song is not about the ministers of the Route 2 cabinet, but about judo. Well, about a friend of Tori's who was greeted by someone with the words, hi, I'm Betsy Brown. Do you do judo? I do judo. Despite this bizarre reason, Purple People is one of the most beautiful songs by drama queen Tori Amos. Although once released as a B-side, the live album to Venus and Back rightly made it a classic. But who are those Purple People anyway? No idea. This person is clearly a fan. I think the drama queen is uh, something about the translation. Something about the translation, yeah. Notorious overreactor, Tori Amos. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm curious to know who or what these purple people are. Are you curious to know? I used to be before I knew the answer. Do you know the answer? (laughs) Maybe. No, I don't know. Okay. Yes, I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm open-minded, Eve. Well, I've put together several theories that we can debunk or verify. Are you ready? Yes, let's explore. This is theory one from purplepeople.com. They might be biased. (laughs) Purplepeople.com might have some opinions about purple people. Exactly. Purple is associated with royalty, spirituality, and healing, and synonymous with the promotion of peace, compassion, and kindness. Founder Susan Faith Brood was drawn to the color purple during her healing journey 20 years ago while meditating. She found that wearing purple clothes and amethyst stone jewelry grounded her into her core, and she connected deeply to her authentic self. They define being a purple person as someone who sees all people as equal, honors everyone's differences, and cherishes their similarities, says wherever you travel, always carry your most prized possession, your smile. They promote the concept of equality among all humans and respect for all living creatures, and they also are at one with the universe. That is the purple people. Mm. Do you think the purple people are locked in a decades-long feud with the Red Hat Society? I don't know what that is, but I doubt it. You don't? The old ladies who wear purple and red hats based on that poem, when I am old, I shall wear... Come on. I don't know who you're... Look into the Red Hat Society. This thing goes all the way to the top. The Red Hat Society is in control of everything. I'm going to say that since founder Susan Faith Brood was drawn to the color purple during her healing journey 20 years ago, that only puts it at 2001. So I don't think that's the purple people that Tori's talking about. Debunk. Debunk. Can I just say I like the idea or the fact, rather, that the purple people are associated with spirituality and healing, or that purple is, I guess, because I associate Tori with spirituality and healing. I mean, if they had come first, maybe she would be singing about them. Mm Mm-hmm. Number two, the second theory from Deloitte.com. So this is the headline, Purple People, the heart of cognitive systems engineering, the past, present, and future of cognitive technologies power users. Insert snoring sound effect here. Cognitive technologies will change the way we do business, and purple people, those who possess a mix of business and technology skills, have a big role to play. Able to speak the language of both business and technology, purple people will serve as translators between those worlds, focusing on making cognitive systems useful in a business context. The purple people idea may have been developed to describe business intelligence intermediaries, but those people have an important role in cognitive technologies as well. I've referred to them in another article as people who, quote, step in and help to create, monitor, and modify cognitive systems within organizations. Two, they're at the core of the idea that humans can augment such systems rather than be automated by them. They can bridge the business and organizational requirements for automated systems with the capability 
capabilities of technology. They're not intimidated by automated systems and are willing to jump into the belly of the beast and do whatever is necessary to make them work. They're capable in technology, but in most cases, their focus is on making them useful in a business or organizational context. Purple people throughout history have probably always been people who bridge technical and business environments. As long as there have been complex technologies, there have been people who learn to understand them. So those are the purple people, according to Deloitte.com. I don't know, Deloitte. This is not particularly interesting to me because I feel like business and technology are similar languages anyway. It's like a slightly different dialect. Well, interesting point, but you don't think that Tori's bridging technology with her business, fusing her soul with technology, machinery, electronica in this era, as she would have called it. Are you proposing that Tori is a cyborg of some kind? Yeah. I mean, first thing that comes to mind is that shirt. Is that what I taste your supernova juice? And she's like a robot at the piano. Oh my goodness. Since this article was only written in 2018, I'm going to say myth debunked. Debunked. We could probably save ourselves some time by looking at when these things were written before reading them, but that's okay. <laughs> I know, you know. Well, I'm crafting this segment as they craft true crime documentaries. Mm-hmm. Like, I love building a straw man <laughs> argument. Theory three from UrbanDictionary.com. Ooh, this is going to be good. They say that purple people are a hypothetical race when the issue of racism is discussed. Proponents of this usage figure there are no people with purple skin and figure it is safe to use. In the example, I don't care if our president is black, white, purple or even green (laughs) i think people would care if they had a purple president yeah or a green one but not a white one no certainly not what do you think about this theory is this what she's singing about i do not personally believe that tori is exploring issues of race in this song but you know i agree with you i don't think she's exploring issues of race either so we're gonna say myth debunked. debunked here's theory four from wikipedia the Purple People, or I Popolo Viola, were an Italian mass protest movement who, among other things, called for the resignation of now former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi. The movement was disaffected with mainstream Italian politics and identified themselves at demonstrations and rallies by wearing items of the color purple chosen because it was not associated with any major Italian political party. The group originated in October 2009 when a group of bloggers gravitating around the anonymous figure of San Precario, an activist from Sicily, organized demonstrations using word of mouth, Twitter, and Facebook. Do you think Tori was ahead of her time in predicting the Purple People Italian mass protest movement? I do. You think? Yeah. She's highly intuitive and can see into the future, but in a very, very specific way. Do we dare verify this myth? I don't know if we can verify it, but let's keep it on the table. I think they might have taken their name from Tori Amos, if anything. That's a good point. They love that song. That, that was like their anthem. It was like the official song of the movement. Well, it is the top fourth ranked song about purple of all time. A classic, some right. might say. Half the group voted for Purple Rain. Half the group voted for Purple People. Lines were drawn. I'm going to say myth debunked. Debunked. This is theory five. This is, I find to be the most erotic theory. Erotic? In Lafayette, Cal- yes, erotic. get ready, David. In Lafayette, California, the Purple People is a group that lives in purple houses and travels in purple limousines. The highly controversial community, officially called Lafayette Morehouse, formed in 1968 and has since been labeled as a sex cult. That's too bad. They missed being established in 69 by one year. They should have held out. The members of this cooperative community engage in experimental sexual research and believe in a life of pleasure. Lafayette Morehouse members teach sex practices 
practices and techniques, and the group even used to offer college degrees on the subject. Some claim residents of the hedonistic co-op are free to come and go as they please, and that Lafayette Morehouse is simply a community that encourages pleasurable living. Others say the group uses intimidation tactics to keep members closed up behind purple doors. The Free Love Commune faced public criticism in 1994 when authorities arrested founder Dr. Victor Barranco and his wife for possession of LSD. The arrest lent credence to former allegations that the Morehouse founder coerced students into taking illegal drugs. Lafayette Morehouse, which implies its own security guards to protect the property, reportedly has ties to the alleged Pyramid Scream and Cult One Taste, a San Francisco business that offers orgasmic meditation for women. Mm. Since 2001, One Taste has set up locations across the world, including London and Melbourne. So it's very possible to me that Tori would know about this. If it's hitting the news in 94... That's possible. I say we should leave it on the table. What do you think? Well, I kind of like it as like this community or group of people or something representative of an experience that Tori feels separated from, if that makes any sense, because she's feeling cut off from something like where are the purple people? I'm not one of them. And these are maybe people that are living pleasurably. Ooh, okay. We have to leave it on the table, David. Yeah. Okay, our sixth and final theory is from nmcnews.org, and they say, Since the early 60s, Naziria Monastic Community, NMC, affectionately called the Purple People by many due to the color of their monastic garments, has been offering the finest quality essence and essential oils, incense, and meditation supplies gathered the world over. Alongside their web presence, the monastery offers in service the Purple Eco Village, Oregon Essentials, and Purely Uncut Oils. The quote that I saw on their website is that we are on an infinite journey since beginningless time and there are always heights ahead. And those are the words of Reverend Nazamora. Interesting. I'm not sure we can debunk these last two. I agree. The last two, I think we have to do some deep research. Mm -hmm. Okay. You ready for the line by line now? I think so. Well, hey, do you do judo when they surround you? Well, hey, do you do judo when they surround you? I think if we go to the story that Tori's friend told her about this sort of bully figure who came in and would intimidate her. I'm Betsy Brown. I do judo. Do you do judo? I do judo. Obviously, the idea of people surrounding you, you would feel intimidated. And so do you lash out? Do you protect yourself? Do you defend yourself Mm -hmm. when you're feeling attacked or intimidated? And we sort of... We know where this line came from because Tori gave us that kernel of inspiration. But I've always imagined not a physical threat, but kind of being stalked by unwanted thoughts Mm. or feelings Mm -hmm. that you want to fend off. Which lends into the next line. A little mental yoga will they disappear. A little mental yoga, will they disappear? Uh huh. This is the opposite of judo, right? Like you've got one way to ward them off and then another way. Mental yoga seems to be the peaceful option. Yeah, I think of that as another way of saying meditation, really. Or just bending your mind in another direction. I like the idea of mental yoga. That's interesting that you just said that because I was thinking mental gymnastics. Like Mm -hmm. if you just don't think about it or if you look at it in a different way, which maybe isn't as peaceful as yoga would imply, Mm -hmm. but like a little mental yoga, like you can always convince yourself of anything, you know, just do some mental gymnastics and think about it in any kind of way. It's grim, but never dubious as most. 
grim but never dubious as motives go. So what does that mean? We can't question these motives that they mean her harm somehow? If we go to the next line, let's just explore the next line really quick. No matter what it takes, she promises a show. No matter what it takes, she promises a show. So let's think of her as a musician actually literally performing concerts and mm-hmm. pr- and performing shows. If we take this idea that she presents at the end of the first stanza that she's promising a show no matter what, she'll be there on stage promising a show or she'll be there to perform in some regard, whether it's literally on stage in front of her audience or not, then if you follow that thread back to the first line, when they surround you is the audience, you see? And how do you get through this when everyone's looking at you or needing something from you? Interesting. Mm -hmm. That takes me back to the discussion we had about Pandora's Aquarium, where we kind of Mm -hmm. got to this is about her looking at her relationship with her fans and kind of the Tori Amos persona for the first time, maybe. And like there have to be times where she doesn't want to perform. I mean, let's look at what she went through prior to the Rain show. And then having to go on stage on the rain show, going through like a really terrible time and still having to deliver a show because it's already contracted to be televised. You know, she's worked hard on it. It was originally that rain show was originally supposed to have other other musicians, not just Maynard, but it was supposed, you know, she was trying to have other other acts, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know what happened, what went wrong there. Or maybe it was just like she couldn't work on it for a while. Oh my but God. Imagine, like, imagine the mental gymnastics that you have to do to get through something like that. I'm starting to get really nervous that we're going to have a sixth sense moment where we find out we've been dead the entire time. But instead of that, we find <laughs> out that we've been the purple people this whole time. Oh no. Oh no. We are the purple people. I kind of think we might be. <laughs> what if we're the purple people? I think we are. Oh. We're the people who are always wanting something from her, even when she's oh, at no. her lowest. And she still has to show up and perform or show up at that meet and greet. Well, this has been the Songs of Tori Amos signing off. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, Tori. Sorry this happened. Please don't karate chop us next time we see you. We, we didn't mean it. We just love your music. Do you think Tori sometimes at a meet and greet has had her fill and she wants to start doing like Miss Piggy, like, hi-ya! And karate chopping her way through the fans to get back <laughs> to her dressing room? <laughs> I think that Tori's able, here's the thing, is that she talks so much and has consistently talked for years and years about herself enjoying the meet and greets and needing them to kind of build her show and to like keep the pulse of what's going on, that when she does feel overwhelmed, it seems to me like she takes the day, like she doesn't do a meet and greet that day. Mm -hmm. There have been whole tours where she's done hardly any, you know, so I would hope that she's able to keep that balance for herself. Where if she doesn't want to be there, she won't be there. I think she has. And I think as time has gone on, they're less frequent. They still happen all the time. But I don't think she tries as hard to make sure she does them if she just doesn't have it in her. And that's good, obviously. I think she had a hard time saying no in the past. I'm willing to say. I agree with that for sure. Just based on the things that she said. Thunder wishes it could be the snow. Thunder wishes it could be the snow. This to me is the grass is always greener, right? We all want what we don't have or what we aren't. Yeah, I would say it's more the second one. Wanting to be something that we're not or that we see in someone else. Not having something, which to me is like the grass is always greener implies that you want to like have or own something that Mm -hmm. someone else has. But I guess that applies to an experience too. But I see this as more of like a characteristic 
that she wants to embody. And that pops up in Tori's music a lot, for sure. Starting with Can I Be You for a While, Everybody Else's Girl, Continuing Here, Thunder Wishes It Could Be the Snow, Fire Would Rather Be Water, Pianos Try to Be Guitars. Also, it's very intentional, I think, that Thunder, which could be a reference to thunderous applause, wishes it could be as peaceful as the snow. Mm-hmm. So here she's got a lo- all of this stuff going on. And maybe just wishes that she could rest for a minute. Yeah. Snow to me is sort of falling silently. Yeah. It's delicate. Whereas thunder, you obviously think of something loud and maybe even disruptive. So is this just a way of saying maybe sometimes she wishes she could withdraw from the spotlight and having to be Tori Amos? Yeah. I think that there's a fair case for that. Mm. Wishes it could be as loved as she it could be as loved as she can be do you think that's tori the person as opposed to tori the musician wishing she could be as loved and respected just for who she is as opposed to for this thing that she can do or this thing that she does a lot in tori's music she's always talked about the separation between tori the person and tori the performer like she's never felt like a woman without the piano you know all those boys for pele era quotes really distinguishing between the person and the performer right here Mm -hmm. it is again that maybe the person wishes that she could be as loved as the performer is like for who she really is right Mm -hmm. there was a quote that we read recently on an episode where she talked about how even the 90s iteration of Tori Amos wasn't the truth in some ways. Do you remember that quote? Yeah, I do. That maybe this dramatic, thunderous rock star wishes it could be really who she is, which is what she's eventually become, which is kind of like very adult contemporary. Like if you think about the tone of music, thunder wishes it could be the snow, just peaceful, sensual, you know, a sensual woman wishes it could be as loved as she can be. Like that woman lost inside is still hoping that Mm. she could be. I think Tori started really talking about that issue of kind of her persona as a musician and an artist and a celebrity as different from kind of the authentic self around Under the Pink. When Mm -hmm. she talks about, you know, only feeling alive when I was on stage and all of that. And I feel like she Mm -hmm. was conflicted about it as that conversation went on in the sense that she felt kind of this push to integrate those two things to not have that separation. And I think she eventually came out the other side feeling like the best thing to do or the healthiest thing to do was to continue to compartmentalize or to see those things as separate and not necessarily needing to integrate them and keeping something for herself, so to speak, and being okay with having this kind of public persona facing outward that was sort of a character, if you will. Yeah. And that's kind of a way to shield herself. Yeah. So I feel like she's sort of, yeah. So I feel like she's sort of changed how she was struggling with this issue. Like, oh, maybe this is actually a good thing to have this separation. I agree with all of that. I agree that eventually it shifted. And I wonder if this song even is the shift, especially in the upcoming verse. But I want to talk about these gifts are here for her, for you, for me. These gifts are here for you. Is this where she's tying it together? That like the love that she wishes she could have that the other one, the other part has is the gift that's still here for her and for me. Like it's still there for me. Or or is it that I have to figure out how to accept the gift for me? That they're here and I can, I just have to figure out how to open the gift or get the gift. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
I think she's kind of looking at the, let's say, adoration that uh-huh. Tori the musician gets from the fans or the media or whatever, and sort of realizing uh-huh. that she's getting something different, a different sense of fulfillment in her personal life that's equally as valuable. Whereas before, mm. maybe she was like reaching for that fame yeah, and that acknowledgement and that validation and getting to a point where she realizes she doesn't need it quite the same way or that she's being fed in a more meaningful, authentic way in her personal life. Yeah. I watch me be this other thing and never know. I watch me be this other thing and never know. See? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you know what's... <laughs> I hate to keep using the word interesting, but I will say I have not sat with these printed lyrics, really. And because they were included with a single without lyrics, I don't like go to the lyric book. I kind of hear what I hear. And I wanted to say... Mm-hmm. I always heard, and I knew that wasn't correct, but I still hear wishes it could be as loud as she can be. Wishes it could be as loud as she can be. Which I think was sort of influenced by the idea of thunder. Oh, interesting. But the way she says it, I always hear wishes it could be as loud as she can be. But... I like loved much better and it makes more sense, especially in the context of this discussion that we're having. I also always heard, I watch maybe this other thing, not watch me be. And me be is a lot more meaningful. Yeah. And like I watch maybe this other thing doesn't make sense really, but I kind of always thought of this song as loose and improvised. So it didn't have to actually make sense intellectually on the page. I support you. Two things that it's unlocking for me. One is that I always knew what the lyrics were. And I'm trying to figure out how I always knew what the lyrics were. If there was any kind of printed version anywhere. Well, you just speak Tori better than I do. No, that's not what it is. It was never a question. And I wonder if it's because the lyrics were posted somewhere. Like I have to, I'm trying to access that like hidden part of my 98 brain that just knew what the lyrics were. Because I rarely go to the lyrics book as well and I I certainly in whenever the lyrics book was printed did not go there and like scrounge for the lyrics of purple people you know what I mean like we knew we already had it like ingrained in us by then yeah well when Um, was the was the lyrics book the first time we got printed lyrics like I don't think they're in the Venus and back sheet music or anything. We've actually confirmed, thanks to Simon Smith, that the lyrics are in the Tavina Simbach sheet music book. That was the first time we saw them. I'm assuming. I watch me be this other thing and never know. I watch me be this other thing and never know. And here in the lyric book, it actually says, I watch me be this other thing I never know. I definitely think she sings and never know. Yeah. Clearly through all the live versions, we can track that she definitely does say and. Yeah. But in the lyrics book, it's interesting that she writes, I never know. Mm. But I think the whole line, however it's constructed, words specific, is that she's not being authentic to herself and she's performing a role that is not her. Right? Which goes back to Mm. Thunder wishes it could be the snow. I don't know if it's so much that it's not her, but again, that there's that separation. And I think about when she talks about being on television for the first time, performing silent all these years and looking at herself in the monitor and feeling like she's looking at someone else. Like if I stop singing, will she keep singing? If she stops singing, (laughs) will I keep singing type of thing? Ah, Yeah. I mean, I watch me do these things, but what's the and never know that and never know part is what's interesting to me. Who doesn't know 
But that thought continues with, what does she not know if she's marooned? You're right, it does continue. But it is constructed, I think, to live in both lines. I watch me be this other thing and never know If I'm marooned or where the purple people go I must not have ever gotten the printed lyrics because I'm looking in the lyric book right now and she says in the next line, if I'm marooned or where the purple people go, O-R, but I always heard O apostrophe E-R, like she's been marooned over there. I'm marooned or where the purple people go and I always heard it that way. So clearly I didn't have the lyrics book. Like, where were you marooned? I was marooned over there. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. If I can't. That's very funny to me. Because she puts two syllables in it. If I'm marooned or where, like, I don't know. It's, it's like when we play the it, Merry Widows of Windsor when we do Tory trivia. Like, <laughs> if I'm marooned or there, yeah. where's my cranny hunter? If I'm marooned or where the purple people go. I'm choosing to hear or O apostrophe E-R. Because if she never knows if she's marooned or she never knows where the purple people go. Is that how we're reading this? Yeah. So there's two things she doesn't know or one or the other thing she doesn't know. Like I may know one, but I don't know the other. Like what is that? I always heard it as it's one or the other. Am I marooned or and where are the purple people going? Or do I not know where the purple people are going because I'm marooned and I can't follow them? Does that make any sense? <laughs> no. I watch me be this other thing and never know if I'm marooned. So I watch me be this other thing. I watch this other side of myself unfold and I never know if I'm marooned while I'm watching myself be that other thing. If I'm watching myself do that or be that, I can't tell as me, the me that's watching, right? I can't tell if the person that I'm watching, the me that's being watched is marooned, like needs help, is abandoned, needs help on an island. Even that supports why I hear O-E-R because if we are the purple people, if the fans are the purple people, and I'm watching me be this other thing and never know, like, do I need help where the purple people are surrounding me? You see? Yes. They're surrounding me, but I still feel abandoned and helpless. Yeah. And that also has always made me picture the artwork from Choir Girl, where she's just kind of floating and pressed against mm-hmm. glass. And there's like this aspect of self that can't be reached. Oh, interesting. And it can either look spacey or underwater or both, which it does. And I have to say, too, me sort of always holding on to Christmas in Space as part of this song title is Mm -hmm. colored by her use of the word marooned, because that seems like lost in space to me, like you're marooned Mm -hmm. in space. And I also Mm -hmm. kind of have always thought of purple people as aliens. So it has like this whole kind of outer space, lost in space narrative happening for me. And I'm not saying that that's accurate, but that's kind of what I always mm-hmm. see. And because of the inclusion of this song on the live disc of To Venus and Back, I kind of consider this part of that era as well. And the Venus artwork is all purple tinge. So there's just like a weird purpley outer spacey thing happening to me with this song. And I don't know exactly what that all means, but yeah. I watch me be this other thing and know. If I'm marooned or where the purple people go. 
a quick cursory search of the intranet. I went to google.com and I typed in marooned or where. O-E-R. Mm-hmm. And guess what came up? It is listed that way in numerous lyric sites as the official lyrics. It's not in the lyrics book. There's no way I would have made that up. Thank you. Thank you, Internet, for saving my ass again. (laughs) If I'm marooned or where the purple people go. Does that change anything in your interp? So she's singing like a contracted version of over there or over yeah, where, or the, where pe- the purple people go. No. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense with our, no, it makes sense with our theory. Like if the purple people are the fans, she's marooned over there. She's marooned where the fans are. Yeah. She's helpless and she's deserted right there on stage. Everybody's surrounding her. She's got to do mental yoga to get out of this and she's marooned or there. Mm-hmm. David, wouldn't you be marooned or there? I am. I know I would be marooned or there. As a purple person, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm marooned or here. Then lily white matricide from vicious words. Then lily white matricide from vicious words. Matricide is where you kill your mother. Yes. So this always made me feel really sad that with the death of her baby, there was also the death of the mother. Yes, for sure. And then the vicious words to me, when she said that on TV about the nurse who was like, I love you, I love your music, so I want to do anything I can to help you. I remember going in with Mark and the nurse was so wonderful. And she said to me, let's just make this okay and and see what's going on. Your music has really been there for me and I want to be there for you and let's go and within a couple seconds I hear her cry and she said, I'm so sorry, Tori and Mark, you've lost your baby. And in that moment, I don't know what happens where souls go but i really realized the depth of love that i had for this little being those words that instantly with those it was like a clean cut with those vicious words the mother was murdered yes i think you're absolutely correct that's what i've always thought too and that's heartbreaking for sure it doesn't leave a scratch so therefore no one's hurt. It doesn't leave a scratch, so therefore no one's hurt. You can't see it. You can't see those words. You can't see that the mother inside me was murdered. So I'm supposed to just act like nothing's wrong. Right. And Tori has also talked about not knowing how to navigate this experience. And other people don't know how to be there for you either. And it's a weird thing to grieve because there's no body. Like there is when we experience other kinds of death, when there's, you know, a whole ritual that we go Mm -hmm. through as part of the grieving process and that doesn't happen here. So it's almost like you're with this tremendous loss, but it almost seems like it didn't happen because it's not visible to anyone else and you're in it alone. Yes. Thunder wishes it could be the snow Wishes it could be Again, this to me just sort of really 
illustrates the difference between the public Tory and the private Tory, especially around this time when no one had any idea what she was going through. Mm-hmm. And also even to this day where we look back with such fondness on the Dewdrop in tour because it was amazing, but how there's this weird battle between the fans who want that again or, or are always trying to get that again, looking to that, and Tori who actually has many times very clearly said that that was a very painful time. And that she was not having a good time. <laughs> we didn't right? know that. We didn't. I mean, I guess we could have. At the time, we didn't know that. Yeah, we didn't but... know that. I mean, I guess it was safe to assume. But that's what she was giving us at the time. But even like since then, or even like recently, like she's always said it's hard to listen to that record. <laughs> but it's our favorite record. We consider it her masterpiece, you know? So it's like it's just this weird battle between yeah. the public and the private. Yeah. And on, the nurses make it clear, just when you escape, you have yourself to fear. I know this has nothing to do with it, but I've always thought of the nurses in Butterfly. Me too. Wear the shoes, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. What are they making clear? That she's not a mother? Because if you have yourself to fear, like she's fearing her own body, or she's fearing all the same themes that appear in Spark, that she's the one to fear. I read this as you have escaped physical threat or bodily harm and that you're okay physically, but now you just have to sit with all your thoughts and feelings about it. Oh, yeah. Like your mind now. Any idea why she's shouting out Denny's in this song? Or IHOP? Or IHOP? Well, a couple things, kind of piggybacking on what we just said about being with uncomfortable feelings or thoughts that you don't want to think. I mean, one thing you Mm -hmm. can do to escape that is to numb yourself. And one way to do that is with food. There's a change that happens with breakfast every hour. It could save the world. That's kind of hopeful. Am I misreading or do you read it differently? No. I agree with that. So to find this one beacon of hope, we all know that Tori relates to food and every she's brought food into every single mm-hmm. interview for as long as she's been a musician. This sticks out to me even more so recently because when she was promoting, I don't know if you remember this, when she was promoting resistance, somehow breakfast came up and she said, I don't like breakfast. Really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. If she mm-hmm. hates breakfast. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you hate breakfast, you have to eat it every hour. Yeah, so you're right. This always seemed like something positive to me or a beacon of hope, like you said. And maybe it was, but then it became something that she somehow associated with a painful memory. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But you also obviously think of the start of a new day with breakfast. So maybe this also embodies like a new beginning. Oh, yeah. And like a short-term memory, a new beginning every hour, forgetting your troubles that frequently could save the world. Or refreshing or restarting. Yeah. But again, is that like a form of denial or not wanting to confront something? Like you're just going to be safe in this time loop where you never have to move forward? Well, yeah. If no one confronts anything, it could definitely save the world. Yeah. Just hanging out, eating a stack yeah. of pancakes every hour? <laughs> For sure. Sign me up. Every hour. No one's confronting anything. I We're love all just it. living, thriving. Yeah. It could save the world. So, hey, do you do judo in your finery? So, hey, do you do judo in your finery? 
finery. In your glittery apron? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. I think finery is her stage clothes, <laughs> is her stage outfits. Mm-hmm. An angel's face is tricky to wear constantly. I always think of Tricky's album, Angels with Dirty Faces. Do you know that album? Uh-huh. I refuse to believe that this line was not somehow tricky, angels with dirty faces, and angels' faces tricky to wear constantly. I mean, maybe not, but I refuse to believe it. I think you're probably right. Or she's a big Home Alone fan. In Home Alone, when Macaulay Culkin is watching TV, he puts on Angels with Dirty Faces is the movie that he watches, which is not a real movie. But... Oh, I know. They made that movie for yeah. Home Alone. That wouldn't have been a bad title for Choir Girl. It wouldn't have been. Confessionings of a Choir Girl, they're kind of angelic. And she talks about those blonde figures in the artwork Mm -hmm. being angels. Mm -hmm. She's still the angel to a girl who hates to sin. Yes. Angels with dirty faces. I like that Mm -hmm. title. An angel's face is tricky to wear constantly. Further reiterating that she's performing, that there's a performative quality to the face that she's putting on. This line also makes me think of a wing can cover all sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Things are not always what they seem. Yeah, and also that she's not an angel, but she's wearing the angel face in front of the fans Mm -hmm. or on stage. Mm -hmm. And she can't always be that. And it's hard and it's getting harder and harder to pull that off. Yeah. And it's got to be pressure. I mean, like... Not even the onstage persona, a lot of that that I'm talking about, I'm also in my mind thinking about the meet and greets that she has to go through, you know, like always just being there to listen and always being there to give advice and like, be, you know, she's talked about how she has to get herself like in a neutral space in order to do that, you know, like to be able to listen. Mm -hmm. Just think about having to do that every day. Like that's a lot to ask from someone. Yeah, and I think before a meet and greet and definitely before she goes on stage, but I'll bet she has a practice to kind of ground herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's some version of, you know, judo or mental yoga yeah or men- yeah, or just sure. yoga <laughs> or mental gymnastics uh-huh. or just gymnastics Again, we have the chorus just repeating the idea that they are two separate entities, the public and the private. I find these lines to be so meaningful because even though we're dissecting the song, and I think we did a, a fine job of because I feel like I understand the song a little bit better now, but I find these final lines to be so meaningful because even before the dissecting of it, even before we were like on paper with what we thought about it, there was a sense that there is like a public and a private, you know, Thunder wishes it could be something else. And for her, for you, for me. But it feels like the way she's ending the song, she's sort of kissing her goodbye. You know, she's like sending her off into the ether, mm-hmm. which to me had like a little bit of the motif of the baby in some way. But also like now that we're talking about it, maybe kissing that public face goodbye or kissing that thing that she feels is not authentic about herself, kissing that goodbye. Because now she's married, right? And now she's happy, quote yeah. unquote, or now she's been through a lot and now she's 
being her authentic self. Yeah. She's kissing this fakeness goodbye or this false narrative goodbye. And to me, this is now tied to that idea of, I think you're confused. I'm not Persephone. Tell me more. I'm coming around to thinking that both of these songs, meaning Pandora's Aquarium and Purple People, PA and PP, are about the Tory persona and the relationship with the fans and her trying to sort of reconcile authentic Tory with public facing Tory. Yeah. I mean, we're a lot to deal with. I mean, let's be honest. We're we are ex- a lot we're to extra. deal with. We're very extra. Uh-huh. But if you think we're extra now, let's examine how we were in 1998. Seriously. We were very extra. Mm-hmm. We were as extra as we are now with the gift of youth and stupidity on youth our side. Youth and vigor. We could drive all night to the next show. And we did. We had an endless well of need. <laughs> An endless gaping hole of need that just needed to be filled 24 hours a day. I still do. So now that we've explored this song, why do you think Tori referenced it as one of her favorites? Do you think it was more so because of the lyrics and the themes that she's exploring or sonically? Well, sonically, she's taking so many chances here. If this is one of the earliest songs that they worked on, it's just so different. Not only just that beginning, that intro, but just like the rhythm and the groove. And it's... It's very connected. All the players feel very connected. It's like... Yeah, and I almost um, feel like this song or this performance sort of cemented them as a unit that could work together and that they could improvise Mm -hmm. and just play and Mm -hmm. have this finished product. Like, oh, this is really going to work or we really have something here. Yeah, yeah, because it does sound like a band song. It doesn't sound like a a song that she wrote that they added things to later. Right. And also, it does have that chemistry of a Tori Amos song, which is like obscure lyrics that require no demand dissection for years and years, 20 years, 22 years at this point, right? These lyrics that just are poetic, but also obscure. Mm -hmm. She's not saying like, fans leave me alone. She's saying... (laughs) If I'm marooned or where the purple people go. That's what she's saying. So Mm -hmm. there's that chemistry with that plus this just like really beautiful piano melody that I think is, you know, it's just it works. I think the song is really great. It's not in my top 10, but it could be on certain sad days. Mm. Yeah. So maybe that's why she loves it so much. Or maybe you're right. Maybe it marked a very special moment where she realized that the band was really going to be able to come together. and I think so. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite lyrical moment? I have a hard time saying it's my favorite because I think it's so devastating, but I think she just sort of drops this bomb with Lily White matricide from Vicious Words. It doesn't leave a scratch, so therefore no one's hurt. I think, as we discussed, that really captures that experience. When there's the death of a child, there's also in some ways the death of a mother. Yeah. How about you? I'm going to say that my favorite lyric in this song is i watch me be this other thing and never know if i'm marooned or where the purple people go and it is if i'm marooned over there it has to be the other way it makes no sense <laughs> and she's you know by the time we get to 2001 and she's editing the lyrics book it's of course she forgot the e fine that's what it is that's my theory and i'm sticking to it mm-hmm. if i'm marooned or where the purple people go all right can i propose one more theory only one more For, maybe we'll see All right. Well, I'm going to propose one more theory or or a myth that we can unceremoniously debunk as soon as I say it. Okay. Okay. I would like to propose that the purple people are, in fact, lost children. Because Tori has said that this album was about, you know, children that couldn't be with their mothers. And I see them as kind of souls of lost children who are going off to some afterlife where she can't follow. 
Well, I think that that is very accurate. I really think that that's a valid and completely accurate interpretation because of what she said about the album as a whole and orphan songs, you know, or a graveyard of souls, mm-hmm. you know, is what I'm thinking too. Mm-hmm. Um, and purple has, we haven't really talked about it in this line by line yet, but purple does imply like the skin tone, like dead. Yes. People when they're dead become like a shade of purple. Yeah. Or when you're drowning or suffocating, like look at Laura Palmer, like was blue and purple. You're right. So that's there to uh, bolster that theory for sure. Mm-hmm. It also, I wonder then too, if purple people is a reference to lost souls, then is there anything stopping that from also being the fans at the shows? Like we are kind of lost souls at that time. Sure are. Sure were. <laughs> what sure do you slip? <laughs> Sorry. What do you mean by are? Sure, <laughs> sure shooting. Sure is. Oh, I mean was. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, like she knew we were running from something if we're seeing all of the shows. Uh-huh. Like, come on. Oh, yeah, this is my 95th show. And she like fed into it. But she knew like there is that correlation between the lost souls at the shows, but also the lost souls that she's talking about throughout this whole album cycle. Mm-hmm. There have to be a lot of people out there on the road who are looking for a mother in Tori. So she feels even more like responsible for their emotional well-being or that they find her to be responsible for her emotional well-being and like the 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 weight of that mm-hmm. i found this from smo.org do you remember that mailing list no like smo s-m-o-e it was like a software that would like do mailing lists anyway somebody wrote their theory back in the day in like 1999 they said you know how when babies are born they are slightly miscolored like a blue purplish mm-hmm. well i'm guessing during a miscarriage this is amplified so tori is singing about all the lost babies and in the part where she says if i'm marooned or where the purple people go she's questioning where her baby's spirit is mm-hmm. and then someone says that makes a lot of sense is that just your opinion or has tori actually talked about this song I went back and read the lyrics, and this is in 99, David. I went back and read the lyrics, and it seems to fit even more with your theory. The reference to the nurses make it clear, and then Lily White Matricide from Vicious Words, as in the nurses' words, what that baby was lost killed the mother emotionally it seems to fit anyhow the theory would also explain why purple people was the b-side of spark also about the lost baby mm-hmm. and maybe why it's the only b-side to appear on the actual choir girl album the german version i believe also what's up with the christmas in space line in the title and where did it come from it's not on the cd single we all know rob that was rob mm. <laughs> thanks rob thanks rob hope you're well rob can we talk to you about how much is lost to us? Even though we are we liken ourselves to historians trying to really uncover all of the details, there's still so much that's lost. Even if I go back and listen to every Purple People performance, which I have, even to do that, there's still so much that's lost because you could easily make some comment at a meet and greet to some random person, you know? Right, and she probably has. And she has, and she does. This is what we should have been doing all along, is post meet and greet gather to compile all pertinent information we've learned. Yes, we need to have documented somewhere. We need to have a post meet and greet bonfire and have everyone share I their know. stories oh. so that they're not lost That's a good, time. Yes, exactly. But that would be ridiculous. Yeah, we can't do that. We have to drive to the next show. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> should we listen to Yanta? Maybe Yanta can clear this up. Maybe. Maybe what we need to do is strip the lyrics from the song and let the song speak for itself. Then we'll have clarity. Yeah. Let the music talk. It'll reveal. Let the music play. Just that one single piano note sounds like Beauty Queen. Is it? Is it a G? 
I know live she plays it in B-flat. That's all I know. Why do you know that? Because she says it on stage numerous times. Is this the same sample from Playboy Mommy? It's possible. I love that those two samples live in the same world, you know? Yeah, for sure. This is busier than I expected it to be. Me too. For some reason, it feels a lot more mellow when you add those drums. Mmm, then this rolling piano comes rushing in. Beautiful. this all flowed out in one take that it was improvised and she didn't know where she was going yet still she was able to effortlessly go from keyboard to piano like that no I'm not sure that that's what I how I interpreted her saying that I think maybe they played it it's something that they kind of developed together Mm -hmm. and then like took some refining maybe and I always have thought too in the studio like she'll play the whole thing on piano and then add in the keyboard part sometimes you know like especially in songs where she has to turn to the keyboard like maybe she'll in one take she'll play the whole thing on piano and then turn around to the keyboard and do a second take Mm -hmm. in that section at the same time. Well, this debunks my theory that Steve Caton was there playing sax along with the guitar. Mm-hmm. With no shirt on, just suspenders. <laughs> just sunglasses. Which is also how you play trombone, right? Yeah, I actually, have you seen that guy on TikTok? Shay Stimax sent it to us. He's a guy on TikTok who adds sax solos to like songs that don't need them. Really Amazing. <laughs> it's just a really good number, you know? It's just a really good song. Uh-huh. You approve? Like, no wonder she'd be, yeah, no wonder she'd be proud of it. Like if she's able to do that in the early stages with the band, like my God, no, there's no telling where they can go. Yeah. You can support Yanta by going to patreon.com slash Yanta, where he has himself recorded all of Torebus's music as instrumentals and has sheet music for it all. So go over there, support Yanta today, and then listen and make your own hot karaoke tracks. I'm just going to take my, uh, my phone to the next karaoke night when the bars reopen. 
I'm gonna take my phone and just say play whatever. Just shuffle and I'll let me go. Let me go wild. Oh man, you'll bring the house down with purple people or merman. Like let's get this party started. Yeah. I have brought the house down with the thousand oceans. Mm-hmm. Shaggy and I, like literally, we brought it down. Closed the house party. It was a house party. We closed it. I down. believe it. Chunks of the Everybody ceiling left. falling around you. This building is now condemned. Yeah, they're like all this free booze is not worth it. We're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I love Yanta, and I think that it's so amazing that he's done that. Also, if you just are in love with sheet music and you want to try some other like live things, improvs throughout the years, head over to figuratoryout.com, where our friend Paul Roy has curated for over 20 years sheet music from many, 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 many different musicians who have themselves interpreted Tori as well. So that's figuratoryout.com. You have to become a member, but it's free to join, and that's only so that all of the transcription stay behind the security wall that they were originally intended to from the Yahoo group Figuratory Out. So head over there now and let's just head into another cover, should we? Let's head in. Let's head into another cover of Purple People. This is Mario Quachicale with his cover of Purple People. from SPED, July 1998. A few thoughts on singles. Okay, just to make myself even more clear, I am very ticked off at the Tory camp for their handling of the Spark single. I just went up to my local record store at noon to buy the new Cowboy Junkies album, and I looked at the Spark single. Best Buy only had the short version of the single, but I knew that our store here would have the extended long version with many more songs and b-sides and greatness, right? Ha! What is Tori, Atlantic, or whomever thinking? I'm looking at this thing and the first thing I notice is the $6.99 price tag, to which I respond to myself, Woohoo! Must have all four B-sides from both UK singles, right? Imagine my dismay when I only saw two freaking extra songs, Bachelorette and Purple People. So let's reevaluate. For zero dollars, I can have one of the songs, which I already have on the album. For three bucks, 
I can have two of the songs. And for $7 plus flippin' tax, I get all of three goddamn songs? <sighs> now I realize the economic time zone that I am in, that being central damn high prices time, has this single price a little higher than the rest of the world. But even CD Now has it listed for the bargain price of $5.52, which I would say is about $3 too much. I think I have a valid complaint. Calling a three-song CD single an extra single or a long single or a super-duper heebie-jeebie single is just plain wrong. Call me a tightwad, but I have no intention of shelling out $7.50 for this single. I've heard both of the songs and they are both great, but I am not going to play this game anymore. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had a one long horn and one big eye. Like a Mr. Shaking in the city. It looks like a purple people eater to me. It was a one eyed, one horn flying purple people eater. A one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater Sure looks strange to me We're here with Shane Bettenhausen. He works in video game developer relations. He's from the Bay Area, and he's a purple people obsessive fan, right? I'm a purple person, you super are, fan, right. since day one. We've had Shane on our daily show, Never Shut Up, so go back and listen to that. But we've never had you on our main show. So tell these people who may be hearing you for the first time how you discovered Tori Amos. Like most OG fans, it was Little Earthquakes right when it was coming out. I think I saw like an MTV special, maybe it was a Much Music special, and then Buzzbin signed all these years, immediately purchased the album, fell in love. This was in high school. And then around Under the Pink, obviously, with when I first started seeing her live, then by the time I'm in college, is Pele even more obsessed? She's growing, I'm growing. And then here we get to 1998. I'm in college. I've grown up even more. I've expanded my musical horizons. I'd had a jazz appreciation class. I, I, I got into techno, you know, <laughs> I, I, or as we called it back then, uh, electronica. You know, your, your life had fused between jazz and electronica. You were ready for Choir Girl. I was ready for Choir Girl. <laughs> super excited. Pre-ordered the Spark CD singles from Siren Disc. Mm. Couldn't wait for them to show up. They arrive and like everything she'd done, it was a complete shift in not just the visual presentation, like these bizarre images, I'm sure as you and David talked about, like the weird font, the strange kerning. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it was, you know, six new Tori Amos songs. One of them is a Christmas <laughs> song, but it's a really good Christmas carol. But, you know, suddenly all these new things, a new, a new world to take in. Her expanding her musical range with the band, with new sounds, new compositions. And of all those songs, Purple People was like the one that immediately... Obviously, I love Spark and I love Cooling, but like, you know, from the very beginning, Matt brushing the drums, the jazzy tone, her playing what I thought was an accordion at the time. Like, what is the sound? <laughs> I didn't know that it was her sample, you know, her sampling on a keyboard. The beginning of that song just like blew my mind. Like, what is this? So it was so weird and alluring and mysterious yet playful. It just, it was nothing she'd ever done had been that jazzy. And like, I think immediately, like, I just loved that song. I have to say, you make me feel like a complete hack because I can say with confidence, David and I have never discussed the kerning, the font kerning. <laughs> well, okay, the weirdest thing about the kerning, if, you, if you're a font super fan, on that Spark 
regular stretched out right it's stretched out and then there's like the tiny image of all the track listing of all the songs on choir girl and the one that blew my mind was IIE because oh, yeah. like the cranning's cur- insane <laughs> it's like 10 feet between each, each it's each interesting that you say that because I always used to write IIE as I space I space E space E space because <laughs> right? that's what I, I thought she was doing that's, canoni- that's canonical clearly somebody went through the effort yeah. to just that kerning yeah right? yeah Yes, you're right. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about funk kerning. Okay. So, yeah. So, like, you know, that whole, for me, pre, pre-choir goal, this little melange of music was so, you know, I could, it was a microcosm of what you're about to experience. It actually set me up properly for choir goal because I hadn't heard any of the leaks. And I think, like, if you look at all those songs of the B-sides, those first six B-sides, it's very exciting, very dynamic. It's a much different introduction than the things we got at the beginning, the fun, wacky songs at the beginning of Pale these B-sides are much more substantial in that way, yes. But uh, at the same time, I'd say this one and more so Bachelorette are slightly improv-y, but that's part of why I love Purple People is like there's no yet a die that dies. It's all <laughs> fully formed. Are you uh, suggesting she does that to fill space? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's delightful. We all love them, but like – when there aren't any of them, you know, it's a little more measured and <laughs> thoughtful. She wrote it and out like, before. I love them all. But to me, the lyrics and her delivery, the cadence of her words, like most of the song is very languid, sexy. But then when she wants to speed it up and kind of get you with these more weird insights or contradictions, like some of my favorite lyrical moments are the ones that aren't slow and sexy. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite lyrical moment from Purple People that you want to use as an example? It's tough because there's probably two. I mean, I, I I think the one that grabbed me first was Thunder Wishes It Could Be the Snow because uh-huh. it's it, it seemed like, you know, it's personification. It's this weird twist, but it's also non-gendered and it's this longing and it's mysterious. I mean, we didn't even discuss the personification. How do you take that line? Is it's like, do you think she's singing about herself? But that's the thing about this whole song is that initially I thought it was about her because often a lot of her things are, especially if she's even singing what, it, what appears to be another character, mm-hmm. a she, <laughs> sometimes it is Tori. But yeah. here it's like these mythical personifications, almost like Neil Gaiman's Endless or something. It's like thunder itself wishes it could be the snow. Mm-hmm. But then the the rest of the song is kind of these other characters. And then, you know, if you dig into what she says this song is about – that was her branching off part. I think she did take it to this more mythical place with these personifications of weather, but it's also about identity. And she, I think she is in the song, but there are these other characters. So yeah, that that kind of like you know this merging of identities and mystery with a little bit of sexiness and playfulness, but at the same time there's this longing and a sadness here. Yeah, I and mean, that sadness wasn't so pronounced when I first fell in love with the song in 98 i thought it was just more playful uh-huh. and then my other my other favorite local moment is obviously a restaurant that never has to close breakfast every hour it could save the world you know that's super fun and you know i'm in college we're all diners all night like you know who doesn't want to have pancakes with tori in a fucking diner right like night, yeah yeah I, I think later in life when i finally got to see her play this live the first time was beekeeper with sensuality tour and like it wasn't so sad back then it was solo and it was good but then when I saw her play it in Oakland 17, A Native Invader, suddenly it was very sad. Like, obviously, everything has so much had changed in the world. We're in a sad place during Trump. But, like, you, didn't you feel that way that on the on Native Invader tour, it was, like, a very sad reading? Yes, I did. But I always felt the sadness in the song. And this mm. begs me to ask you this question. So the song itself, it's called on the disc, on the single, Purple People parentheses Christmas in space we've since found out that the Christmas in space is the typo and that Christmas in space was originally supposed to be 
have your it was supposed to originally be Christmas in space parentheses have yourself a merry little Christmas which makes complete sense totally. given the production of Harry a thousand percent but because we didn't know that it was a typo I always and David as well we sort of crafted this narrative around the phrase Christmas in space being attached to purple people and instantly made it about what she was going through with her miscarriage after because mm. that was around Christmas so to me the song was always sad I huh. never got well, that sexiness I, I did think as as a youth that the Christmas in Space parenthetical was part of the song, but it, nothing in the song is really Christmassy at all in yeah. any way at all. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, I guess I didn't know that's when her, when she lost the baby. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I never, I, th- I thought it was a fun parenthetical because parentheticals are inherently fun, but I couldn't really find it in the song. <laughs> I've never had more fun. <laughs> myself. Um, but I, I always thought that she did like the song a lot, obviously, because not only did she put it on the live album of Tavinus and Back mm-hmm. just a year later, mm-hmm. but she played it a lot on those first two tours of the band. And then she put it on a piano, remastered it, right? Yeah, yeah it's there, yeah. the live version, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. And it was the bonus track on the Japanese version mm-hmm. of Quagro. You're Hotel. right. She, she got to so choose that. Right. She had a lot to choose from by then. Yeah. And, you know, you can always tell what her favorite songs are because they don't appear on the album, but they appear like right after the album comes out. Like they're on the first single, generally, right. usually, which was the case for Upside Down, which is the case for Purple People. I think it's the case for Honey. Maybe Honey doesn't appear on the first single, but I have a couple of questions for you. And the first one is an informational question because David and I have run into some trouble and I want to clear it up with someone who hasn't argued about it for 20 minutes like David and I have. <laughs> I, want to, I want your natural, fresh take on it. So do you remember the first time you actually confirmed the lyrics and how you did that? I mean, it would have been early internet days mm-hmm. and it would have been, you know, did the Dent have lyrics? Did... <laughs> Well, you know, one of the fan sites on the Torium's web ring. It must have been a fa- yeah. It must have been like a fan site, right? Like, but I can't... that doesn't that doesn't mean they were correct. And that... just even today, looking at two different sites, I did find some different versions of the lyrics. Okay, even so today. I, what I, what I want to know is complete this phrase for me. All right, <laughs> if I'm marooned, blank, where the purple people go, or where the purple people go. Okay, if I'm marooned, or where the purple people go, spell or. <laughs> O-R. Okay, well, there you go. O-A- you think O-A-R like a or of a boat? No, I think, and I don't think this because I made this up in my head because I'm dramatic. I think it's O apostrophe E-R, and I've always thought that. And I, <gasps> it goes back to, and it's on the internet, so is I O-R. I think that might make more sense. It, to me, it makes more sense, so... If I'm marooned if I'm over, over where yeah, the purple people that, go, that actually does make more where sense. It, where the where the souls go to rest or where they yeah. go to forever unrest, whatever that place is, and she's marooned over there. So that's how I've always read it, and I I, have... I think in this instance, unlike Team Down, you are correct. <laughs> how dare you? And also thank you. But I will warn you before you agree with me. Anyone who agrees is, is with it, me. Is there a songbook? There's no songbook. There's a songbook. So I will warn you before you agree with me. I don't want to lead you down a toxic path that you regret for the rest of your life. <laughs> because in the lyric book, the lyrics are officially printed in the Tavinus and Back songbook. And they're again reprinted in the lyrics book. And I don't think that they were two individual. Like, I think one just kind of got copied to the other. But it is O-R. But if you look for If I'm Marooned or O-E-R... 
on the internet, on Google, search it. It's there a million times. So I didn't make that up. It was I read it somewhere, and I'm trying to remember where I read it for the very first time. And if it was in any kind of official capacity, like if it was on her website, like hit this hot new B-side with these lyrics or anything like that. Well, I'm taking it as canon. I'm going to say, when I, when I <laughs> sing along, I'm going to emphasize the <laughs> hidden E. Or, <laughs> it's funny because David and I had, which you, the everybody listening just heard our line by line at this point, but that we I had to cut that down because I kept saying, no, it's or, or. And I was in my mind saying O-E-R, but David was hearing O-R and we, were, we weren't sure what we were arguing about. So <laughs> we got very confused. But yeah, O-E-R. I, mean, I, I don't think. think that's you know as controversial as all the people who thought she was saying like cokehead instead of cokehead. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. That's pretty controversial. Okay. And then my second question for you, which is much more creative based on your work. You are a video game. You're in video game developer relations. I want to know what would the story of Purple People be if it were a video game? Oh, I mean, it, it almost sounds like a video game as it is. There's like, you know, angels and an evil nurse and there's a restaurant where you get breakfast. I think it's like some sort of like Silent Hill ish weird psychedelic oh. horror adventure game where you're like in two different worlds a tori she, she could like travel between the two worlds I, i'm into it what's the color palette oh in one of the worlds it's kind of all like sepia tone and scary but the other one is delirium colors and mm. like you know fractal mm-hmm. uh, you know exploding tori madness i'm into it who would uh direct this video game who would be in charge Oh, uh, there's this really amazing trans game designer called Christine Love. She's up and coming. I think she'd be a good good choice for this one. Good. Okay, let's get her. Let's book her. We want Purple People, the video game. Anything else you want to say about your favorite song? Or no, I, just, I hope songs? I get to hear it later this year on the big tour mm-hmm. uh, in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Me too. What's your relationship with the song like now, 20-some years later after well, it's been released? So it's it's funny. Like Your show actually helped bring me back to me and get me back into my full Tory fandom ah. back in like 2016. Because I'd kind of let it wane a little bit. I always, I always bought her albums, always loved her. But I, I hadn't had the, the fire until your podcast mm. kind of reignited it. And I hadn't seen her since, I think... I think 2009. So in 2017, when I went to see her in Oakland, that was the only show that tour that I got to see. And, you know, it was like after she had her trouble with the vo- her voice and and I was kind of just like concerned and worried that I, that I wasn't going to be fantastic. And it was so much better than I thought it was going to be. And of all of my favorite songs, this was one of the ones she played. And mm. it's, you know, one of my top three, if not my favorite songs. So it really meant a lot to get to hear it after all this time had passed. And I'd kind of come full circle with her. And it was this really beautiful, touching rendition of it. So my, like a lot of us, we've been through so much growing up with her changing. She's changed. Yeah. Uh, but like some some things stay the same, even if they have morphed in their meaning or how they present themselves. You can always go home again. And I love you that. can. Yeah. Well, welcome back to The Fold, Shane. You can find Shane on Twitter at ShaneWatch. This is Shane Bettenhausen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You guys do an amazing podcast. It's like it's very special and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Bye. This is an 8-bit cover of Purple People by Daryl Banner. We'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com.
David. Mm, I love what you've done with the place. Thank you. I got a ficus. Can we get a fountain soda installed? Fountain soda machine? Like one of those what, you, that you press and you can get like a thousand flavors? Yeah, you, freestyle. Like a, oh, a programmable soda machine. Yes. <laughs> we need a Coke freestyle programmable soda machine in the lounge. Yes. Should we call this the McThirsty's Lounge? Or I'm should we just thirsty for McThirsty's. I mean, thirsty means something different these days. I think it's just referring to boozing, cruising for boozing. And you know, she tells us where Purple People was born in the moment, in the morning, alcohol was involved. So I feel like these songs kind of live in that early morning, boozy, hazy space. That's McThirsty's mm-hmm. Lounge. Well, Purple People has been performed a total of 62 times live in concert, plus a few times in promo appearances. And we're going to explore all of them. Are you ready? Yeah, we're going to find out where the Purple People go or where they went. Or how they play the song. Uh-huh. Ow, 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 ow. In 1998, on the Plug Tour, Tori Amos performed Purple People 13 times, and this is the debut of the song, August 14th in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, he do you do judo when they surround you? A little mental yoga will be disappear. It's grim, but never devious as mountains go. One thing she always promised, promised, is a shell. It debuted a little late. You know, the tour started in April. This is already August. Halfway through the tour, debuts Purple People. Why do you think it took so long, considering this is one of her favorites? Again, that holding close the things that she loves the most. It's interesting. We all do that, though. We all hold close the things that we love the most. The U.S. single was released a little bit later than the U.K. single. Is that true? Yeah, it was released in June, but this is already August. Tori, play the damn song! Yeah. Maybe it had been requested a lot. Maybe. finally, she was like, fine. She just wasn't prioritizing it. She probably thought there were other album tracks she had to learn first from her catalog and she probably because she was playing these big venues and these big band shows she wasn't doing deeper cuts that people didn't know out of the gate that's interesting she wanted to play the hits trying to work up the old stuff too you know Mm -hmm. like her old material yeah i think that's probably pretty right i mean are you gonna work up purple people live are you gonna work up precious things live you only got so much time at soundcheck Mm -hmm. that story we played earlier about betsy brown was from seattle end sessions on september 11th and this is the performance right after that story under wishes it could be the snow wishes it could be as loved as she can be Here's another promo performance, September 15th, on Radio Alice in San Francisco. Well, who do you do judo when they surround you? A little mental yoga, will they disappear? 
I remember listening to that radio appearance from the steps of the venue in Oakland, waiting for the meet and greet. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. That's so cute. Like on a boombox or your car radio or how? Yeah, someone had a boombox that they put on the steps as oh. we were all sitting there like, oh, she's on the radio. Let's listen to it. Someone also bought a giant Costco plastic thing of ice cream. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, do I? And like co- <laughs> communally, people were just eating this giant tub of ice cream on the steps. Really? The, the one with the handle? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, we should do that at the next meet and greet. But that ice, it's all ice and no cream. That is not good ice cream. <laughs> it's not, but hey, yeah. just for nostalgia's sake. But there's a lot of it this is the first time i ever heard purple people live this is september 28th in albuquerque new mexico i'll be quirky roll it oliver This is from one of my favorite shows on the 98 tour, probably my favorite show of the bunch. This is November 28th in Akron, Ohio, and this is the last time she performed it on this tour. not perform it at all on the 1999 five and a half weeks tour but did perform it three times on the subsequent solo tour david this is the first time she did the song solo in london on october 29th 1999 That's wild. She was promoting to Venus and back on the five and a half weeks tour and she deemed mm-hmm. Purple People worthy of inclusion on that album. And then I'm just not going to play it. Yeah. But I think it was really good solo. It fit that winter tour vibe for some reason. Mm-hmm. That you know? midwinter summer tour. No, it was just like the midwinter winter tour. This mm-hmm. is the first time. But it did fit that vibe. Like, And solo, it's just as beautiful. So I think she discovered that it works solo. Mm-hmm. Strange. So strange. In 2001, she performed it 10 times on the Strange Little Tour. And I loved this performance. This is the first show I saw on that tour. This is October 31st in Houston. November 15th, 2001, in Los Angeles, she tells a little story. Well, actually, this one coming um, was one of the ones that didn't make it on the records, didn't really make it anywhere. But she's um, probably one of my very favorite ones. 
She's decided to come uh, a lot on this tour. Why do you think this song showed up so often on the Strange Little Girl solo tour? I don't know. We saw a lot of cooling that tour. We did see a lot of Pandora. I don't know. It's an interesting question, though. Why do you think? This is the first tour where Tori was a mother. Tosh had been born, so I think she was kind of re-examining these songs from the other side of the experience. Yeah, because especially if, like you said, the purple people are the souls of the children. Yeah. So I think she was just exploring motherhood in general because the strange little girls, if you will, these songs had a new mother in Tori. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. This is December 5th, 2001 in Glasgow. This is an amazing performance. December 11, 2001 in Munich. In 2002-2003, on Scarlet's Walk, she performed it three times with the band, and it was just as good as it was before. Mm. But she started that tour out with a series of radio promos that were solo, and this is October 16th, 2002, solo from Radio Uno. Best appearances ever, Radio Uno. I agree. So sad. That sort of fairy tale, heartbreaking. Virginia. David, watch your mouth. <laughs> 
This is December 1st, 2002 in Milwaukee. This is the first time she performed it again with the band, and she gets her key wrong, and that's how I know it's in B-flat. March 19th in Erie, Pennsylvania. And the intro just reminds me, and she does this sometimes now and since then, but this is the first time where it feels like she's at a like a piano recital. On my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. This is April 15th in San Luis Obispo, and another improv about forgetting the key. I was there. I filed my taxes at the last minute, then was like, woo, gotta make it to the Tory show. <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> um, here's a question for you. So, these two improvs back to back about her keys, about losing the key of the song mm-hmm. and always never being able to find her keys, made me think of obviously, where'd you put the keys, girl? And how many times she's talked about losing her keys. And it's never occurred to me she's 
obviously probably singing about the key in the song. I don't know if that's true. You mean in Cornflake Girl, you think she's always been yes. singing about a piano key or a musical yes. key? No, I don't think yes. so. I don't think so. I think it's worth examining when we revisit Under the Pink. I think Rabbit just had a big key ring. I'm telling you, if there is a key change at that moment in the song, I am going to be livid that I didn't realize it. In Cornflake Girl? Yes. There isn't. Well, you never know. There might be now when we look at it again. <laughs> In 2003, on the Lotta Pianos tour, Tori performed it zero times. In 2005, though, on the original Sensuality tour, she performed it one time in San Francisco on April 24th, 2005. It was so sinful, she could only play it once. She was like, no, no, it's too caliente, it's too sinful. But in the Summer of Sin, the separate Summer of Sin tour in 2005, she performed it one more time mm. on July 6, 2005 in Florence. It's like, let me try it again. Nope, too, too sinful.
2007, on the American Doll Posse Tour, she performed it three times, and two of those times exist on Legs and Boots, which we did not play earlier for this reason, because I really, I love these versions, and I didn't want to surprise everyone with how wild they were. Out of nowhere, I wanted to build to it. So here's October 15th in Philadelphia. That intro, though. That intro, though. This is December 11th, Phoenix. It's also on Legs and Boots, and so you should go out and support Tori Amos by purchasing both of those now. But here it is. Roll it, Ollie. play our favorite doll posse game if this song had been performed by a doll that wasn't tori who would it have belonged to clyde clyde i love that there's always only one right answer that concept was airtight yeah (laughs) good for her (laughs) that's a successful record it is she did not perform the song on the one show in 2008 dranitor but she did perform this song one time in 2009 on the sinful attraction band tour she only performed it one time with the band that year and it was the last time she ever performed it with a band probably ever no band's coming back in 2021 they're not they're not no tori called me herself she told me i'm hearing you say that in pip's voice from cruel you don't know but i know you don't know but i know you point at your head there's a band tour coming one of my i'll rip your solo off (laughs) can i just say one of my favorite moments of you ever and that's there's a lot of them was listening to those live cruels with you to the pip improvs and you lip syncing them 
And like, I, I was like, I can't believe that he knows the words to all these cruel improvs. But that one, what do that you one, mean is, you can't that one believe. in particular, when you were looking at me dead in the eye and mouthing, you don't know, but I know. You and you know, pointed at I your know. head. <laughs> we're I so don't recall dumb. that. But <laughs> she did do a solo tour after the band, and she did play this one time on that 2009 Sinful Attraction solo tour. Here's October 9th, the last time with the band in Zabers, Poland. In 2011, on the Night of Hunters tour, Tori performed this five times, and here's an especially poignant time on September 30th in St. Petersburg, Russia. In the Gold Dust era, Tori performed this song four times, and this is an amazing intro in Rotterdam on October 1st, 2012. Roll it, Oliver. It's interesting because there were so few shows in 2012, yet it was so present. Yeah. It's like it's topped over 50% for this tour because there was so few shows, but it was always there. So uh, thoughts on why? So few shows and so few solo slots because it was with the orchestra. So if I'd gone into that tour and put some money on purple people showing up at all... You would have been a millionaire. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I just imagine millions of people betting. Why do you think <laughs> this was present for her at the time? I can't connect it to anything, really. What I can connect it to is that if you have so few solo slots, and you're, she's really... You have to remember, she was really nervous to perform with the orchestra. You can just tell. And she holds it in such regard. You know, she's not just going to fuck around with an orchestra like Portishead did in 1999. No, I'm just kidding. I loved it. But she's going to really hold you know she's a classically trained musician and she's you know not going to fuck this up so the solo songs that she chooses or all the songs that she chooses 
but especially the solo songs I think are going to be the ones that she really loves and the ones that will bring her great comfort in that mm. moment and like she knows she can play well that's why did she play crucify a lot I'm just trying to think of other songs that hold that space for her I don't think she did at all it wasn't a crucify tour though you know what I mean I don't know it's interesting that's also I remember from our crucify episode that that's one of the only times that she didn't play it mm. that's like maybe the only time she didn't play it on a tour mm-hmm so she did not play Purple People in 2013 at the Caprice show, but in 2014 on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour, she performed it 11 times. Are you ready for this, David? She's not going to apologize for crap. And she's not going to apologize for playing Purple People so many times. And why should she? She shouldn't. This is May 29th, 2014 in Amsterdam. <laughs> In 2015, on the festival circuit, she performed this track, this hot track, only one time. Get it while it's hot. In the sunshine. This is June 6, 2015, in Denmark. Thank you. 
I had a transformational experience with purple people. Did I tell you that? Have I mm. said it at all this episode? No, you haven't. Is it coming as a shock here at the end? Here as we round it out? Yeah, but I love a shock at the end. I love a surprise ending. Um, like you mentioned Sixth Sense earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> On August 24th, 2017, I was living in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, teaching at a college, just living my best life, you know? I remember. Well, not my best life. It was the middle of nowhere. But it was a life. I was living a life. But I loved it. I loved being in that small town. Um, But I felt disconnected from anything like anything with culture, you know? I had really like cut myself off from big town living, you know, in a really serious way. And my time in Scott's Bluff was coming to an end because I was only there till August 31st. But on August 24th, Troy performed this song at a Polish radio event. <laughs> and I loved this performance of it. For some reason, it just signaled that she was back. It was really, really sad. And I wasn't expecting that, you know, because all we had heard was Cloud Riders, right? But it just hit, it checked all my boxes, as you say. Roll it, Oliver. Performed it five times on the Native Invader tour proper, and this is the first time. This is September 6, 2017, in Cork. So she did it at the Polish radio event and it came out in the very first show. So obviously she's feeling this song mm-hmm. in some regard. Maybe, you know, the idea of motherhood and what she's going through with her own mother. Because the idea of motherhood clearly is threaded through this song. Yeah, for sure. The final time to date that she has performed Purple People. This is November 26th, 2017 in Oakland. This is a song that didn't make it to the three LA shows. Isn't nope. that sad? Yeah. I think we'll hear it again for sure, though. Yeah, I think we probably will. It's a safe bet. She loves yeah. it. She loves it. it. She's only played it 62 times, but you can tell she loves it. She said as much. Mm-hmm. Well, it's time to leave the lounge, David. Oh, Our time I is up. Wanna. Is my membership being withdrawn? Up, up, up. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye.
Well, we did it, David. I am... We've done it again. We've done it again. Are we the purple people? Has this episode raised more questions than it's answered? I don't know. It kinda, I feel unsettled. I just need to go. I need to go eat a lot. Me too. I need to go have breakfast every hour to fill this void. Same. Every hour. Keep it coming. Every hour on the hour and every half hour on the half hour. Mm-hmm. I had the most disgusting meal, speaking of breakfast every hour. I was eating the breakfast that I had was the dinner from the night before I had leftovers and I had ordered cosmic wings. Have you heard of cosmic wings, David? No. I don't recommend them, but I do. It's an Uber Eats model. So if you have Uber Eats, you can get cosmic wings. It's Uber Eats own restaurant. All that they serve are chicken wings and french fries. That's all that they make. And like they have packaged cookies or whatever, but that's all that they have. And they have one flavor of chicken wings. Are you ready? Cosmic? Cheetos. Ew. Cheetos flavored chicken wings, which is what you would think if you weren't me. Ew. But I thought, mmm, that sounds delicious. So I ordered Cheetos chicken wings with my friend, Brian. Uh-huh. We ordered Cheetos chicken wings the other night when we were recording our other podcast. And they're so good. They're disgusting, though. But they're so good. But they're disgusting. I can't. you're that kind of person who loves yourself, but you also hate yourself. You are describing me. Go ahead and order your Cosmic Cheetos chicken wings. And they also have Flamin' Hot. Back to breakfast every hour. Have you ever gone to a restaurant that's running some kind of all-you-can-eat or endless whatever promotion? Like IHOP, endless pancakes, all-you-can-eat, or free fry refills at Red Robin. You can tell the quality of restaurants that I eat at. (laughs) But the point is, have you ever gone to a restaurant that's running that kind of promotion and you ask for it, like the second round of whatever, and the server acts kind of horrified or like, oh, really? Okay. And you're like, oh, do people not actually do this? Am I disgusting? Am I the only one who actually asks for (laughs) I have been with my father when he came to visit in LA. We went to the griddle. And you know how they, if you eat the whole stack of pancakes... I've been fantasizing. Wait a minute. First of all, I've been fantasizing about griddle pancakes this week. Mm. And is that true? I've never been told that. If you finish the whole thing, it's free. Well, I think so. I don't, I think you're making that up. I might be, but he was like, I'll do it. And he only was able to eat like a third of the pancakes. Yeah. And he was a big guy back then. So they're just too sweet. It's not the quantity so much as the sugar. For sure. Content. Oh yeah. I have a model when I go to the griddle, they have these huge pancakes for those who don't live in LA. They have these enormous like face, like they're as big as your head. Yeah. And they're like cookies and cream. Like they're really sweet. Pumpkin with butterscotch. That's what I get. Oh yeah. I always just order steel cut oatmeal. That's all I order. No, whenever. you And like don't. a coffee. I swear to God, you can ask anyone I've ever been with. What if, why do you hate yourself? You're going to go to the griddle and like maybe just avocado toast. No. I love steel cut oatmeal. First of all, I don't hate myself for ordering oatmeal and coffee. Well, I hate you for ordering oatmeal. Well, I always know there's going to be pancakes left over. So I'm not going to spend the money on a stack of pancakes I'm not going to finish. Mm. I'm just going to take a quarter of blows. <laughs> <laughs> what kind does she get? I don't remember. She got them big. So... That's our breakfast story, I guess. Mm-hmm. That was a good breakfast segment. If you like what we do, head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos to become a supporter today. We have many different perks at many different levels, mostly including extra audio content. We have a bonus podcast tour all year that comes out once a month. And we have another bonus podcast called Drive All Night Plus, where we are currently examining the Little Earthquakes B-Sides. We also have another show we rarely talk about called Never Shut Up. It's a daily Tori Amos show. comes out five days a week. You can download that. That's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So get it hot now. And if you really, really like us, you can DoorDash me some pancakes from the griddle. <laughs> and me. Give me some Cheetos chicken wings. I'll eat them again if you force me to. Mm-hmm. If you order them for me, I'll eat them again. A wing can cover all sorts of things, including 
self-loathing. That should be their slogan. <laughs> you can follow us across the internet on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Songs of Tori Amos. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, call 323-296-9955. If you want to email us about appearing in a future show, email us at songsoftoriamos at gmail.com. That's it, David. We're done. Where are we going next? Ooh. Lunch. <laughs> We're out of our endless breakfast loop? No. No, it's breakfast every hour, lunch every half hour, dinner every 15 minutes. Okay. What about brunch, though? That's every other 15 minutes. All right, everybody. We'll talk again next time. Yeah? What's next? Have yourself a merry little crema. Is it? A little cre- a little merry little Chrysler? A merry little crema. <laughs> Chrysler in space. Bye. Bye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.